But it is this amazing little Denmark has put so much amazing design into the world. There is something to Danish design as something special. Welcome to The Sociable Kitchen, a podcast by Kvik. I'm Julie Broberg. In our first episodes, we look back at the history of Danish design and the development of the Danish design DNA. And now it's time to turn to the question of what Danish design can do, and more importantly, what it's good at. We started off asking designer Nikolai Duva from Says Who. He's the one who designed our popular green umber kitchen. He's trained as an industrial designer, which is a bit different path than the big names of Danish design, who often were craftsmen or architects first. What what do you think that that being an industrial designer, does that give you something else in it than if you had been classically trained as like a furniture designer <clears throat> from the beginning? Personally, for me, I think it the industrial design approach went uh, or was uh, just a natural stepping stone for me to enter this career because uh, I guess to some extent I'm logically uh, wired. Um, so that made a lot of sense. Uh, and the whole idea of, you know, researching, understanding, looking into uh, a particular problem from sort of a structured approach and um, crystallizing, like findings, insights, something that would surprise you that would be a problem to solve, basically. Uh, I think it's just a, a really productive and uh, a really good approach to do industrial design. Because at the end of the day, at least that's what drives me, is to solve something and make either something better or introduce something that, you know, resonates with a problem. Uh, and of course, the term problem can be very wide. Mm-hmm. Uh, H, yeah. And is it necessarily a negative problem? No, it's no, a, no, it's no, a, no, no. The problem can be... It's just that, you know... Where do people sit? <laughs> exactly. Like the chair has been there forever, right? <laughs> right? And it still has four legs and has a seat and has a back. And there's not per se a problem, but there's still an evolution going on that you need to be mindful of. So maybe the, maybe the scale or the optics of solving something that is maybe aesthetically more problem-based rather than maybe a classic, uh, how do you say, real problem-based uh, process where you would might have to solve, let's say, for somebody that's disabled. Mm. Uh, then a chair would be a complete different type of project, right? Because then there would be some really factual, concrete issues to solve mm-hmm. that would then at least influence the result. Yeah. But but isn't it also some, somehow in Danish design, like the problems that, that the chairs, the classic chairs all solved were also like problems of of manufacturing, right? It's like, how do we, how can we efficiently manufacture this? How can we mass produce it, but have it still look beautiful? I mean, it isn't entirely foreign to. No, no, no. No, I think actually industrial design, you know, um, it started then, you know, because you're right. It started out of a necessity, right? Post, post second world war. Yeah. So a lot of designers were looking into manufacturing processes, you know, that, there's a technical development going on which we need to tap into in order to move forward. Mm-hmm. So that became a lot of the classics that we know today. So um, that's an industrial design approach as well, for sure. Yeah, 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 for sure. As we delve deeper into the heart of Danish design philosophy, 
we're reminded that design isn't solely about crafting beautiful objects or only about getting from A to B. It's about understanding and reshaping human interactions, environments, and systems. Moving from the realm of physical aesthetics, we now venture into a realm where design becomes a means for fostering human connections and altering perceptions. We spoke with Suna Kims about how Danish design principles can transform even the most challenging environments. I used to work in, in Danish prisons uh, hmm. and um, the environment, the climate uh, between inmates and guards are quite hostile and quite assume a negative intent uh, on, <laughs> from both sides. From both sides. Yeah. So they see themselves as enemies. Mm. Uh, maybe they don't even see them the other part as a human being. Mm. Uh, so um, and so you can uh, go into uh, prison and say, okay, this is not a friendly environment. Let's uh, paint the walls in a nice color or buy some plants. Or <laughs> but you can also try to engage in, okay, this this is actually. Uh, very harmful this view of the other part uh, so can and that's what we did make them understand that they are part of the same everyday environment you are <laughs> stuck here <laughs> mm. uh, well either because you have a job to do or because you are put there so why don't you try to understand the other part and see that you are influencing the other part in a negative way. So if you can change that dynamic, you could actually have a win-win situation. So, so instead of uh, designing um, more traditional design solutions, we designed a program where inmates and guards do sports together. Oh, so, interesting. Okay. So they are, you eliminate the, hierarchy uh, or at least you introduce another hierarchy uh, where it's not necessarily the guards who are uh, in top of the situation uh, uh, and so and you have fun and you um, and you have something that both parts wants to protect because uh, it's a free space uh, uh, where you don't fear the other part uh, either because of violence or because of the the power the other part have over you so so it's in this case it's about designing something that they want to protect together hmm. uh, and, and did it work it it, it was amazing I... it so it reduces the the violence uh to uh to actually uh zero in the most violent prison in denmark that's an amazing result. Suna offers a compelling perspective on designing not just objects, but relationships and dynamics. As we learn from his experiences, we're reminded that the best design often transcends the tangible, touching lives and mending divides. Design can be transformative. What it often comes down to is getting the right people to work together. Lars Thurson from the Danish Design Council agrees. That is wonderful. It goes back to, you know, when you hire someone, hire always someone that is more clever than yourself. 
uh, which is very easy when you're me, uh, <laughs> because I don't know much, but I know much about a lot, yeah. uh, but I don't know in depth. So I always work together with researchers and people that really know something in depth. They might not know so much else, but they know something really, really in depth that you can count on. Uh, and that, is, uh, that has been a true great experience mm -hmm. uh, in my professional life to, to work together with knowledgeable people. And now it's time to turn to our own knowledgeable people. We thought a lot about people and how they live and work together in their kitchens when we designed The Sociable Kitchen. It's not just the name of our podcast, it's also the name of the philosophy behind all of our kitchens. It arose because we took a close look at how people really live in their kitchens. We came to understand that the majority of the tasks you do in the kitchen take place at the sink. So it's important that the sink faces the room so that the person working at the sink can be part of the conversations that are happening in the room. Our head of design, Klaus Johnson, spoke to us about how all his knowledge of the sociable kitchen went into planning his own new kitchen. Yeah, I would say when I, when I choose my kitchen at home, that was the only thing I was 100% sure of that it had to be a sociable kitchen. Right, which is... Which what is, it? Uh, for me, it was having an island and place the sink on an island. So when I stand by the sink, I face my family. Mm -hmm. That was, uh, it was set in stone. The rest was a little bit uh, fluffy. It came down the road. But having a sociable kitchen, that was a decision that was made even before we decided to have a new kitchen, I see. Mm -hmm. So, so that, oh, and where it's, it's going, um, well, we, uh, at Quick, we, we really have a true interest in how people live in their homes and, mm -hmm. uh, how they work in the kitchen, etc., And so we follow that and monitor it. And that's, of course, uh, how do you do that? I and mean, when you talk to people, that's one way of doing it. Uh, but you can also, uh, for example, now we just talked about the smart appliances and the Wi-Fi enabling. Mm -hmm. We could see before Corona, for example, nobody was using that because uh, Siemens and these big players, they can see when you activate your device. Oh, okay, yeah. And nobody was really doing it. But okay. then during Corona... All of a sudden, people, they started to activate their devices. and Because uh, they were home to play with home, it? Or, and or? I think the man was in the kitchen, too, uh, all of a sudden. Okay, because right. then he wanted to play with the <laughs> so gadgets. So he wants to yeah. <laughs> control it. So we get an indication that it's no, now there's more people in there. We also know that people are telling us that now I invite my daughter to bake cookies, etc. Yeah. Um, uh, so more people was in the kitchen. So I think the sociable kitchen and the fusion of the old-fashioned uh, work triangle uh, where you take some uh, logistic uh, yeah, sort of, yeah. principles into, into consideration when you plan the kitchen. It's pretty smart. Just to give you an example, where, what I did with my kitchen, I have the sink is in an island. So I stand there a lot of the time, most of the time in the kitchen, you stand by the sink, face my family. Um, then if my son or daughter, they are in the kitchen, I have a, a waste bin system that are not under the sink. It's, it's moved away, it's moved to the side so they can open it without interrupting. Without interrupting who's at the sink. Exactly, yeah. 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 So, so thinking about these things is cool. Yeah. I cannot imagine not having a sociable kitchen in our house. And there we have it. Today's episode delved into the very essence of the philosophy of Danish design, showcasing its versatility, adaptability, and holistic approach. We began by immersing ourselves in Nikolai's insightful view on approaches to design, 
the evolution of chair design, and the essence of Danish design in today's rapidly evolving aesthetic landscape. Suna enlightened us about his venture into designing relationships and dynamics in Danish prisons, offering a profound perspective on how the essence of Danish design can mend divides and reduce violence. Then Lars enlightened us about the value of collaboration and knowledge, His approach of always working with people who bring depth of knowledge to the table underscores the collaborative spirit of the design industry in Denmark. And lastly, Klaus took us on a journey of what it truly means to design kitchens that are sociable. At the heart of the sociable kitchen philosophy lies the idea that a kitchen should be more than just a place for cooking. It should foster connection and conversation. Klaus's passion for creating spaces that promote connection gave us a window into the depths of the Danish design thinking at play in our kitchens. And as we learned, the ripple effect of such design philosophy has been far-reaching, revolutionizing the way we perceive and utilize our living spaces. In essence, today's episode was a masterclass in the profound impact of thoughtful design, whether it's in the cells of a prison or the heart of our homes, the kitchen. Danish design isn't just about aesthetics, it's a way of thinking, living, and interacting. As we've learned, when done right, it can transform spaces, perceptions, and lives. In our next episode, we're going to delve into how Danish design is perfectly suited to co-creation. If you haven't hit subscribe, please do so now. And if you like what you've heard, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Thank you so much for listening. Stay inspired and keep those great conversations flowing. I'd like to leave you with a recommendation for another podcast to listen to. If you love kitchens, I highly recommend the new podcast, Your Mama's Kitchen with Michelle Norris. Her first episode features Michelle Obama and will remind you of all the ways some of the most important moments of our lives happen in our kitchens. This episode of The Sociable Kitchen was produced by me, Julie Broberg, and sound engineer, Maunas Vell. We had some technical help from Monica Noctegal and Andrew Frame. Special thanks to everyone who appeared in this episode, Lars Tursen and Suna Kims from the Danish Design Council, Nikolai Duva from Says Who, and Klaus Johnson, Quick's own head of design. Additional recordings were done at Mastertone Studio in Copenhagen. Our logo was created by our own graphic designer and brand guardian, Hella Crow. Our theme music was created for Quick by Lucas Lunderscope. Produced at Feedback Studio in the old meatpacking district near the harbor in Aarhus. <laughs>